So hello everyone. My name is Costandina Haralambus. I'm an assistant professor of language and literacy at the Department of Education at the European University. And I'm here with my colleague, Dimitra Garulavrigi, to talk about linguistics. Uh, Dimitra, do you want to introduce yourself? Hello, Costandina. Um, my name is Dimitra Garulavrigi. I am an associate professor at the European University in Cyprus. Um, my specialization is linguistics and sociolinguistics and applied linguistics. And I'm here to talk about what is linguistics. <laughs> yeah, because it's a common issue we have in the classes. Mm. Students, when they have history or literature courses, they have an idea of what it's about, but not about linguistics. So, yeah. Dimitra, what is linguistics? How uh, would you define in, it? In fact, they don't have any classes uh, in high school which show what linguistics is. So linguistics, people think that when you say I'm a linguist, I teach linguistics, they think that we study the history of a language, how a language emerged and has developed uh, over the centuries, which is one aspect of linguistics. Others think that we study the etymology, I mean, uh, what, uh, where each word comes from and what the meaning of its parts is. Uh, others think that um, we deal with uh, people who have problems in uh, speaking and uh, we try to solve these problems to find uh, solutions and then others think that we deal with the Cypriot dialect in Cyprus and uh, many of them think that we just teach languages and they ask you how many languages do you teach or how many languages do you speak yeah that's the first response <laughs> I get whenever I say I'm mm. a linguist the first question is always so how many languages do you speak mm. so what is linguistics then if it's all these things well, uh, we, we can say that it's the scientific study of a language, of language. It's, a, it's the systematic inquiry into human language. There are about 7,000 languages, and of course, it is impossible for any linguist to speak all these. Um, of course, the more languages we speak, the better. Uh, but uh, linguistics uh, involves... Uh, a lot of specializations. Um, I'll give you some examples, although uh, there are more than that. Uh, linguistics may study the history of a language. It means how a language emerges, how it develops, how it changes over time. It may uh, study the sounds, so that's phonetics and phonology. It means the sounds of a language, uh, People don't know that each language has its own uh, sounds. Not all languages have the same sounds. Uh, what is important uh, for us to know is that and what, what makes students, uh, um, uh, in, uh, what students are impressed with is the fact that there are all languages have three sounds which are common, a, i, u. These sounds are found in all the languages we have uh, seen so far. They are there in all languages. So uh, this is a sort of universal um, feature. But uh, uh, when, for example, a Cypriot tries to learn uh, French, uh, we, we will have to learn how to pronounce the U, the E, which doesn't exist in our uh, sound system. So when we say the bus, le bus, 
We need special effort to that, to acquire the extra sounds that we don't have in our sound system. Linguistics can also deal with syntax. It means when the simplest uh, interpretation I can give is uh, we study the order, the arrangement of the words in a sentence. There are languages that are SVO, it means subject, verb, object, the verb is in the middle. There are others whose verb is at the end, the subject, object, verb, and there are others which have the the verb at the beginning and uh, the object at the beginning, it goes on and on. The majority of the languages are uh, have the verb in the middle or and the verb at the end. Now, sociolinguistics, uh, that's our, <laughs> our more familiar uh, ground. Yes, <laughs> specialization, Constantina. <laughs> uh, in sociolinguistics, as you know, we uh, study the relationship between uh, Uh, language and society. What does this mean? Uh, We see how language changes, we see how a language dies, uh, how language associates with uh, identity, ethnic, uh, uh, social, etc. Psycholinguistics, another discipline, is a relationship between language and the brain, how memory um, associates with language uh, production. We also, uh, a, a very um, a, a discipline which has uh, um, covers a large span of, of topics is uh, uh, applied linguistics. This is a large field. Uh, in applied linguistics, we study uh, the acquisition of the first language, our mother tongue, the acquisition of a second foreign language, a third language, etc. Teaching methodologies. We study bilingualism and multilingualism. Discourse analysis, another subdiscipline, um, we analyze how people communicate, can be the spoken language, uh, the written language, uh, labels on a product, the meaning that's, that is behind that, uh, which has to do with advertising as well, uh, text messages. Pragmatics, we study the meaning in in the interaction between speakers, misunderstandings that may uh, emerge and why they happen. Forensic linguistics is uh, a booming subfield of applied linguistics globally. Why? Because now now police uh, consults forensic linguists in criminal investigations. A forensic linguist can uh, Uh, tell whether the message on the mobile phone or the voice on the mobile phone belongs to the suspect or not. Another sub-discipline is translation and interpretation, uh, which is important uh, as uh, subtitles on films or dubbing. And as I said, the list goes on. So in general, I hope in this way we have shown what linguistics is. And how difficult it is to define it since it covers so many different disciplines. Yes. And um, like for me, I'm a sociolinguist, but I know nothing about psycholinguistics, for example, or even about syntax and phonetics. I know very little because they yeah. include very different ways of studying language and um, um, different ways of thinking as well about language whether you see them go deeper into the structure of the language or you see how language connects to other issues around us. 
Each discipline <clears throat> needs uh, years of specialization. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very difficult to move out of your own discipline, which develops constantly, to move into another discipline. Of course, we teach and we do research in our discipline and some, um, I would say, neighboring disciplines. But yeah. we cannot move to distant ones. But yeah. that's also why it's interesting uh, to mm. study linguistics, I guess, which is my next question. <laughs> um, what is, uh, why would someone want to study or learn about linguistics? First of all, someone who studies linguistics is aware of what is correct to use in a particular situations. Uh, a proficient uh, user of a language is uh, the speaker who knows um, uh, how to move uh, among the different styles of language and use the appropriate style depending on where he is, who he's talking to, who is listening, uh, what the topic is. So linguistics will make the speaker aware of that. And you can use that in every profession. Now, all professions require excellent communication skills. And this is important. Um, so, of course, you can do linguistics, not you can, you have to do linguistics if you are planning to teach a language. Um, if you are planning to uh, work in education, language education, um, if you are planning to write textbooks on how to teach a language, etc., um, you can, a linguist can also work in universities, uh, pursue an academic career, teach at universities and carry out the research. Um, and as I said, uh, if you do linguistics, then you have to move into uh, a specialization that can uh, be used, that can be applied like a forensic linguist, as I said, which is something uh, booming uh, today. Yeah, so. uh, usually my first year undergraduate students, um, at the beginning, they find it a bit difficult and they say, why do we need to know about linguistics? But after a while, they can see how useful it is uh, knowing even a little bit an introduction to phonetics and language structure then makes it uh, much mm. easier to teach it, especially for younger children or when you teach a foreign language like English in your case. Um, yeah. But also about learning about interaction structures and classroom interaction and classroom dialogue and posing questions. It's another area that can be very useful for teachers. Yes, yes. Um, and what about sociolinguistics? That it's our <laughs> field, and we are feel more well, at home. So difficult to put it in uh, in a few words, as you know. Huh? So we have spent so many years, and we are still spending, and we will spend years on sociolinguistics. So sociolinguistics is the study that uh, uh, investigates the relationship between language and society. And this is also associated with identity, with culture, with nation building, with gender, etc. So we study language in relation to gender. Yes, we know that we, everyone speaks in their own way. And it has to do with gender. It has to do with the age. It has to do with the geographical origins, the social class, etc., etc. All these are analyzed and investigated in sociolinguistics, which I find very interesting. Uh, 
We, in sociolinguistics, we also study bilingualism, multilingualism, and how people use the two languages or the three languages, the code switching. Um, when do they decide to use which code? Okay, uh, this is an amazing topic as well, especially when you see uh, babies uh, code switching depending on who they are talking to or what their aim is. Okay. So, um, in sociolinguistics, we also uh, codify, study and codify new varieties of a language. Uh, there are not, it's difficult now to find new ones, but when, once a new variety is found uh, in a remote area or whatever, then it's so interesting to codify and record this language. Uh, we also talk about dead languages. And students have to understand that the language is dead. As soon as the last speaker of that language dies, and there is nobody else to use this language. So, and then when we have a language death, we know that along with this language, not only the speakers, but the whole culture dies. And we are trying now uh, to revive the languages before they completely die in different ways. We try to uh, introduce the language in schools, uh, to teach uh, this language which is dying in schools, to create associations that uh, will uh, record songs, etc., etc., so that we start using the language. Uh, what is important is to avoid language shift, meaning that a community, for example, gradually stops, abandons their own variety, and they move into the use of another variety. So this is language shift. And again, this, is, this may end up in language death. So what we do is make sure there is uh, linguistic vitality, and it's used in the home, very important, and at school, very important, even in for some hours on the radio, on the television, in public spaces, etc. And the best example to reverse language shift is uh, Quebec in Canada. Managed to uh, safeguard the preservation of French in um, English-speaking, uh, not only Canada, but USA next to Canada. Amazing job. Same with Hebrew, an amazing job. Hebrew is now uh, uh, such a, uh, an alive language used in all domains. Uh, it's used uh, uh, as a university uh, language teaching academic purposes. An amazing job. Um, we also study uh, in sociolinguistics uh, how minorities uh, maintain their mi minority language, what, what they do not to lose it. And this is a very good example is uh, Greek in the UK, although we see also the preservation of Greek in Australia, the preservation of Greek in the USA. It means those uh, uh, Greeks who are minority in this, minorities in these countries, uh, struggle to maintain their language. Why? Because it reflects their identity as well. Maintaining the language means maintaining their identity. In the UK, for example, 
every in the afternoons and every Saturday, uh, students, children can go to classes usually near the church, uh, where they spend some hours to learn how to read, to learn songs, to learn uh, uh, dances. But this is how they maintain their Greek identity. Yeah, I find this very interesting. The interplay of language and identity is something that I have a personal interest in. Yes, <laughs> yes, and. Uh, we can see like especially when researching these uh, kind of communities how strong is also the symbolic function of the language and the emotional attachment to the language that even if people are, are gradually shifting for example to english uh, they still consider greek they would say in interviews my language yes even if yes. they were speaking to me in english yes. they had yes. this attachment towards greek even uh, if their the greek is limited yeah, because it, mm. it's, uh, language can uh, have a communicative function, yes. but it can also carry this symbolic, symbolic resonance. Yes, yes, very important, yes. Um, another uh, common question that people ask me uh, is uh, about the Cypriot way of speaking and whether this is a dialect or a language and how oh. can you tell? What would you say <laughs> to that, Dimitra? What a common question. <laughs> Everybody wants to have an opinion on that. Mm. Um, well, in sociolinguistics, we say that all languages are dialects and all dialects are language. It means we don't differentiate, uh, we don't distinguish and say this is superior, because if you say it's, dial, it's, it's a language, you give it a superior position as opposed to a, a dialect. So um, in linguistics, all linguistic varieties are equal. There is no superiority or inferiority aspect in that. And uh, why then we call some languages languages? Because of a political decision that has already been taken. What do I mean? Consider, for example, the case of Tanzania in 1961. They began their independence. In Tanzania, there were hundreds of varieties. I won't call them dialects or languages. And they had to choose, the government had to choose the language that would be the national language that would represent the, the, the nation, the independent nation of Tanzania. And choosing Swahili, which was one of the varieties used, immediately Swahili became a language and the rest were dialects, okay? So it was a political decision, not that Swahili is more beautiful, more expressive, uh, more complicated, etc. The same applies to the Philippines. Uh, when the Republic of the Philippines was uh, established, uh, they had to make this decision, but in 1987, later than that, there was a political decision that Tagalog uh, would be, they chose Tagalog out of more than 100 varieties to be the official language and national language. And of course, Tagalog was not called Tagalog from that on, it was called Filipino, so that everybody would feel that uh, uh, Filipino was their language. But in fact, Tagalog was a language used in Manila by the elites, etc. Um, 
today it's called both. I mean, if you talk to Filipinas, uh, they say, what do you talk? What do you speak now? We speak Tagalog. So Tagalog is still there. But there is a political decision about the Cypriot dialect. Um, there was never a political decision to use the dialect uh, as an official language. In fact, uh, the difference between language and dialect is very well expressed by Max Weinreich. He said the language is a dialect that has its own army and a navy, meaning it has the authority and the power of the country behind it. Okay. With this we get also an insight into how language relates to political issues and social issues and uh, even like from the well-known motto of language, uh, one language, one nation, we can see how um, at least in European nationalism it has been associated very strongly with nation building processes. And that's why wow. we see, for example, languages like Serbian and Croatian that are the same. The same. It's the same uh, language. That they're called differently yes. because of these nation building processes. Yes. Same with the Hindi and Urdu. It's the same language. But the Pakistanis who want to consider it their own language and they call it Urdu. And the Indian, the Indians call it uh, Hindi. Uh, there are some people, uh, some Indians, I spoke to some Indians, they said, ah, yes, it's the same language, we communicate. But we call it Hindi and uh, the others call it Urdu. Yeah, and, um, and that's why one of the main ideas in uh, sociolinguistics uh, is that uh, named languages are not like something that really exists, it's not a thing. It's an ideological construct, it's human work, uh, of codification, creating vocabularies, and selecting sev some ways of speaking and grammar and syntax and calling it the official. Yes, um, elaborating. Yes. yes, so there is yeah. not one thing that is Greek language or English language. There are so many different ways of speaking and the boundaries are not as solid. And especially when we move into contact zones, we see that there are different ways of speaking languages merge there are influences from each other. So uh, this is something that students are uh, quite puzzled to hear yes. because you grow up and thinking, yes. okay, Greek, but what it's is Greek? One. There, is one, there yes. isn't one thing yes. that is the Greek language or yes. Italian language or Spanish. And yes. again, especially there, the boundaries are very fizzy sometimes. Italian, especially <laughs> Italian, yes, and, uh, yes. Um, I remember yeah. when I was uh, studying at the university, we had, uh, one Italian, one Portuguese, and one Spanish. Uh, uh, they would communicate. And they would speak each one in their own language. Mm. And they had no issues yes. understanding each other. Yes. It was quite interesting. But there was a political decision yes. that this is going to be Spanish and this is going to be called Italian. And as the time goes by, of course, mm -hmm. they diverge. But at the beginning, they are almost the same language. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but it was like seeing it, studying. Yes. sociolinguistics and then seeing an example yes, yes. <laughs> right there. But of course all these languages, the Romance languages, Italian, mm -hmm. Portuguese, uh, Romanian, French, uh, uh, Spanish, uh, are Latin language and mm -hmm. they used to be, this is a very good example, uh, Gostandina, they used to be dialects of Latin mm -hmm. and they did not have any prestige. Yeah. 
And then gradually each country grew into a nation and they wanted their own language and they call it Portuguese, they call it Spanish and etc. Now, of course, there is differentiation, but not such that will not allow speakers communicate. Mm -hmm. And that's why we say uh, mutual intelligibility is not a criterion for saying if something is a all. dialect or a language. Certainly, yes. Yeah. Uh, so another classic question that relates to your department is about English. And is English going to replace all other languages? Uh, that's a question that uh, uh, has been discussed uh, well all over the world. English has been called the killer language by some people, meaning that it's killing the other languages. Well, I don't see English replacing uh, languages. What we have today is um, creating bilingual uh, populations. It means maintaining their language and learning English as a second language. There are, of course, people who are not only bilingual, uh, plurilingual, meaning, meaning they speak more than two languages. Um, but it's very difficult to say that it's killing other languages. Now that there is shift by some communities who feel that their language is not so useful and they don't want their children to spend time on the language and they uh, offer uh, education in English, etc. This, yes, it does happen. And uh, uh, there are homes where the parents themselves do not use their mother tongue, but they use English to help their children who go, who are sent to English speaking schools, so that they try to create an English speaking environment at home. Uh, this is true. Uh, it depends on the people. If this happens uh, <laughs> all over the world, uh, well, this is an, an imagined scenario. Okay, uh, where people will shift from their mother tongue to uh, English, then yes, it will replace other languages because we will have language death. But this is an imaginary scenario that, that is far-fetched. What we have today is, uh, as I said, bilingual people and the emergence of new varieties of English that, that reflect the identity of its speakers. So we have these world Englishes, also called global Englishes, and we have New Zealand English, Australian English, Nigerian English, Kenyan English, uh, Botswana English, etc. etc. Uh, a new variety of English that is emerging now and is Chinese English. What do we mean? We mean that English is used all around the world, but it's not the same. It's, mm -hmm. We have varieties that reflect the identity of the people, and which is very nice. I find it very nice because it allows us to be who we are um, while speaking English. We don't have to be, uh, uh, we don't have to use British English or American English. And it kind of breaks the myth of the native speaker. Yes, and it's no longer, you, it, no longer do we uh, look to British English to say ah, this is the correct and the other uh, varieties of English are wrong, are wrong. So what we have is we have uh, Singaporean English used in education, we have Indian English used uh, on the media in India, etc. because this is their own English, which is very, uh, I find it, uh, Amazing, I would say. Yeah, and that's a good example of what we discussed before about that there is not one thing 
of that is Greek language and the same with English. And we can see how many different Englishes we have and yes. how yes. also this disrupts the um, this common idea that language is linked to a yes. nation. I mean, yes. it can uh, function as such in an emotional level, but it doesn't mean that it's necessary. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, I haven't mentioned the loan words. English may not replace other languages, but it does affect other languages. In what way? Mm -hmm. It it lends vocabulary. It, 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 a lot of words in other languages are loan words, English loan words. It means we have borrowed them from English, which is natural. As long as people come into contact with another language, they will borrow. Okay, this is borrowing and lending is a natural phenomenon, and it's not uh, something we should criticize, especially when the new vocabulary is gently and smoothly assimilated into the system of the language. So you, in the end, you don't recognize that this is an English word or a foreign word. This is very important. Yeah, and I guess because knowledge, a lot of new knowledge is produced in English as um, high-tech companies use English and academics we use English to publish. So you have new terms being created first in English and then they are translated yes. in other disciplines. Yes. That's why first we get to know the term, which is in English, and then it's up to us to coin our own term or use this term as a loan word and uh, um, include it in our own stock of vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and the last question, uh, Dimitra, you've been in this uh, field for many years. Uh, what do you personally like about being a linguist, a sociolinguist, and teach linguistics? I love my job. I love being a linguist. I like transferring my to my students' knowledge that will pleasantly surprise them. I, see, I love this enthusiasm that I see uh, among my students when um, we talk about something which has been part of their life, but they never became aware of it as a linguistic topic, as a linguistic issue. Uh, this can be, for example, their experience um, of learning English as a second language. When we discuss the difficulties that uh, uh, an L2 learner, a uh, second language learning, faces and has to go through uh, until uh, they uh, achieve proficiency, then they remember of their own difficulties. And they, it's important because they, uh, they feel that's natural then. That was not because I was not able to learn the language when they found out about these steps, the stages that they have to go through until they reach proficiency in the second language. Then it's the place names that, uh, and everything that is written in English uh, in the linguistic landscape of those students, they suddenly notice, they can see what's behind uh, this, uh, uh, use of English uh, in their environment. And what also uh, I find um, important for the students is to understand that 
when you hear someone talking, you can tell what their background is. And I give them the example. Imagine you are uh, receiving a phone call. You hear someone talking to you and uh, you, you don't see this person. You don't know how they are dressed. You don't know who they are. You don't know what their background is. But you can tell from the way they talk to you what their educational background is, what their geographical background is, or ethnic identity, or uh, social class. Why? Because language reflects who we are. And that's an amazing uh, topic to discuss with my students. Yeah. And also language ideologies, so our oh, own yes. uh, oh, stereotypes yes. of <laughs> how we link certain linguistic features to social class, to gender, to sexuality, etc. Yes, yes. And this is something I personally like about linguistics uh, and sociolinguistics, how it connects with so uh, much larger issues in society and usual topics of studies, language and gender, language and sexuality, language and politics, language and power. Wonderful so, topics. Yeah, everything happens, if you think about it, through language. We educate, or, uh, we get educated through language, through interaction. We form our political beliefs, our um, uh, attachments to people and places and identities. Yes. So by understanding, uh, having an insight into language and interactions, you get a, also an insight of the whole world. Exactly, yes. And yes. Um, as um, I w when I was a student, I went to a seminar uh, by Ray McDermott, and the title was Learning About the Universe Through a, a, a Grain of Sand. Sun, and I feel yes. that language gives you this yes. opportunity. Yes, sure. Yes, certainly. Yeah. So thank you, Dimitra, for this chat. Thank you, too. We had the, the opportunity to talk about what we love, yes. <laughs> our passion. <laughs> and I hope we transfer this passion to our students. This is my <laughs> aim, to make them love linguistics. Definitely.